This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Okay. <clears throat> Choosing a path to influence. God wants His people to have influence. You know, that's important on a personal level. You know, just, just stop and think about it. Anytime you're involved with a group of people, if you believe anything, if you know anything that you believe to be good, right, proper, effective, successful, it's your responsibility to use your influence to try and promote that which is good, right, proper, effective, and successful. Yes? So... And I don't mean to be crass about this, but I have told lots of you know student teachers that come along and whatnot, you know, and people that you know talking. I'm you know again, I'm a teacher school type of a person, right? The one thing you want is influence. If you have influence in a school, if you have the influence, the balance of influence on your side in a school, you can't do anything wrong. If you have the balance of influence against you in a school. You can't do anything right. <laughs> it's just hopeless, okay? So you've got to manage your personal influence. You've got to manage the influences of the institution. That's, that's, that's what administration is all about, in my humble estimation. So God wants us to have influence. How do you get influence? How do you get influence? In our last meeting, we looked at Ellen White's efforts in Australia to establish a model work... This time we're jumping ahead a bit to look at how all these ideas played out back in the States after her return in, the, in September of uh, 1900. Get the historical context in mind. She, she lands in California in September 1900. Okay? She just barely has time to get settled in at Elmshaven when she's on the train headed to Battle Creek for the 1901 General Conference session. That was a big deal. Okay? Reorganization of the entire church structure, moving Battle Creek College out of Battle Creek, uh, combating the Holy Flesh movement that had sprung up in Indiana the summer before. Uh, what else was going on? Um, that's just about enough, actually. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, and dealing with the deteriorating relationship between Kellogg and the ministry. Okay, so yeah, her plate was full. Let's put it that way. Okay. None of those things that she was trying to do in, in Battle Creek in 1901, none of them were successful completely. They moved Battle Creek College out. That was perhaps the most successful thing that was done. They reorganized the church. But, you know, about 19 months later, she wrote that the outcome of the... Uh, do you remember? You may not remember, but you should remember. So I'll tell you. Okay. Um, <laughs> at the end of the general conference session in 1901, she said, what has... you know?" The, the angels of God have been going up and down the aisles. What hath the Lord wrought? This is a wonderful thing that's been accomplished. Um, um, but 19 months later, she wrote, the outcome of the last general conference has been the greatest sorrow of my life. Because the organization was changed, but the hearts were not. And no one really gained the full benefit that they could have from what was attempted at 1901. Well, anyhow, um, 1902 wasn't a whole lot better. Sanitarium burnt down in February. Living Temple was, uh, you know, going to, uh, was being agitated all through the spring and summer. Um, review burnt down on, in, at the end of December. So, you know, 1902 was not a great year either. <laughs> um, 1903, let's see... 1903, yeah, they were moving the General Conference and the Review and Herald out to uh, Tacoma Park, right? Uh, relations between Kellogg and the ministers were pretty well trashed. Uh, Battle Creek was going down. I mean, the college was gone, the Review was gone, the General Conference was gone. The only thing that was left was the sanitarium. Uh, and Kellogg was exerting a somewhat pernicious influence there through the sanitarium. So Battle Creek was going down. What's going to happen to the church's medical work? Do we need the medical work? Or is it one of those little tubes on there and you lift the lid on your car and you look down there, oh, there's a tube and you can pull that tube off and it doesn't make any difference. Do we really need the medical work, you know? Um, yeah, we do. And so the Lord had plans. 
kind of a plan B situation, you know, if we don't do it right this time, let's try something else. This is not new. You read through the book of Judges, you know, up and down and up and down and up and down, you know. God's a pretty patient guy. So this time, the plan was out in California. In fact, it wasn't just a new location. In many ways, what the Lord was calling for looked like a whole new approach. It actually wasn't a new approach at all. It was just the right one that we hadn't really tried before. Okay. As might be expected, this new approach looked a lot like what Ellen White had been fostering over in Australia when she was trying to establish a, a pattern. She wrote this. She said, The cause of God today would have been far in advance of what it is had we in former years been more active in the training of nurses who, in addition to their acquirement of more than ordinary skill in the care of the sick, had also learned to labor as evangelists in soul-winning service. That's a cool thing. It is for the training of such workers, as well as for the training of physicians, that the school at Loma Linda has been founded. In this school, many workers are to be qualified with the ability of physicians to labor, not in professional lines as physicians, but as medical missionary evangelists. The cause is in need of hundreds of workers who have received a practical and thorough education in medical lines and who are also prepared to labor from house to house as teachers, Bible workers, and call porters. Wow. Well, what school is she talking about? Loma Linda. What was it called? What was the original name? The College of Medical Evangelists. And at the risk of once again being obnoxious, I will just point out that it was not the College of Evangelistically Minded Physicians. Just, you know, in English, we put our adjectives before our nouns, right? You know? It's the College of Medical Evangelists. We were training evangelists with medical skills. That's what the place was named for. We were not primarily, originally, intended to be training physicians with evangelistic leanings. So, just for whatever that's worth. Let's go on. Well, you know, if you've been in administration, you say, let's start a new program it often means you better find somebody new to do it, okay? You need a new guy coming in to start with a new slate. It just, it just kind of works that way, okay? Fortunately, Ellen White had the guy. He was already on site in Southern California in 1904. He'd just spent a couple of years in Australia. And interestingly enough, there's a little anecdote in Australia. This guy was over there in Australia, and one day the mail came in from the United States, and there were two packages, one really large package of mail, was addressed to this guy. A somewhat more modest package of mail, much smaller, was addressed to the, I suspect, the conference president. I don't know exactly, but one of the other workers, we know that much, in Australia. Well, this guy was not much of anybody, so why should he get the big package? And so the assumption was immediately made, oh, obviously somebody put the wrong address on or the wrong name on. The, so the big one goes to this guy and the little one goes to you. And they open up the packages and no, 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 no. Actually, let's put the big one back over here. Thank you. And we put, what was this big package of mail to this guy in Australia? 1902, 1903. It was telling him about the need to develop medical missionary work in Southern California. He's in Australia. It was all about what needed to be done in Southern California. The Lord was, you know, laying out the, laying things in place. This guy was this guy, John Burden. If you're familiar with the story of the purchase of Loma Linda, you may also know that he's the guy that bought Paradise Valley and he also bought Glendale. But Ellen White kept saying, there's another place out there. You need to find it. We're not going to go into that whole story. It's a great story. If you've never read the story of the purchase of Loma Linda, go, go find that someplace uh, because it's, very, it's a, a, a faith-affirming story. I like it. Okay? But now John Burden was, uh, after they purchased Loma Linda, he's in Southern California, and um, the big question becomes, what are we going to do with this place? <laughs> it purchased this nice property, 
but what are we going to do with it type of thing, okay? Ellen White wrote this. It will take some time to get a right understanding of the matter. But just as soon as we begin to work in the line of true reform, the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us if we are willing to be guided. Much good can be done by those who do not hold diplomas as fully accredited physicians. Some are to be prepared to work as competent physicians. Many, working under the direction of such ones, can do acceptable work without spending so long a time in study as it has been thought necessary in the past. What's she talking about here? Well, it turns out she's roughly a hundred years ahead of herself. Who are these people that don't have the diplomas but work under the physician? What do we call them today? A a PA, physician's assistant, or a nurse practitioner. Okay, so, you know, she's only 100 years ahead of society. She figures out what can be done and says, let's do this. Although she was talking about something along the line of an evangelistic physician's assistant or a Bible worker nurse practitioner. Why not? What a cool idea. Well, the why not basically boiled down to it's so much more fun to have fancy letters after your name. I say that with respect because I respect those letters. But my question here is, what is the best balance of trained personnel for the evangelistic work of the church? Are you with me? Are you with me on that? You know? My goal is not to make the most out of myself. My goal is to see the most made out of God's cause. So what can I do and what balance should we strike to make the most for God's cause? Well, let's see. Going on. This is how John Burden summed it up. And this is a letter to the General Conference uh, Executive Committee. He was, you know, he, this was 1905 or 6 or something. I don't, don't know the exact date in this next one coming up. 1905, 1906, something like that. He'd been, since 02 and 03, when he was still in Australia, Ellen White was feeding this guy all this information. <coughs> oh, I should say one other thing about John Burden. The guy's my hero. He received, I think, uh, when I, I, I think it's, it's in the book. I forget exactly. I think he is the, uh, was it sixth or seventh? I actually went to and did the full count on all this, but, you know, He's the sixth or seventh highest number of letters from Ellen White. Okay? He received 83 letters from Ellen White that they have record of, at least. And not once was he reproved. Not once. That says something to me. Because I've read some of the letters to the other guys. Most of them never made it past the first paragraph. <laughs> Let's just be honest. That's what most of those letters were about, was, was correcting problems, okay? 83 letters without being reproved. He was counseled. He was, you know, warned in advance, Brother Burden, you need to be careful of this, that this, not da-da-da. But it was never said, Brother Burden, you have done this wrong. 83 letters. <laughs> it's mind-boggling. He was just this... Crazy guy who did what he was told, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Anyhow, so, so, so Burden, writing to the General Conference Executive Committee, he describes it like this. He says, To us, it seems clear from the foregoing testimonies that there are at least three classes of workers to be educated in medical lines. First, many well-trained nurses to work as evangelists. Second, a large number of persons qualified with the ability of physicians to labor as evangelists. Third, a few fully accredited physicians with recognition to stand at the head of the work. Wow. This is a new concept. This is not the prevailing concept. Anytime you come up with something new, it's going to, you know, it's going to face confusion trying to fight its way through the you know, all the other opinions, right? Ellen White is no fool. She knew that, and she started going to bat for this thing. She said things like this. Our people, 
are now being tested as to whether they will obtain their wisdom from the greatest teacher the world ever knew or seek to the god of Ekron. Let us determine that we shall not be tied by so much as a thread to the educational policies of those who do not discern the voice of God and who will not hearken to his commandments. Who's this god of Ekron guy? Where's he coming from? Come from? Anybody remember? Remember the story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Second Kings chapter one. Ahaziah is the king, and he's standing around in his palace, leaning on this balcony railing type of thing, and evidently, probably it was a union job or something. But the the railing broke, and he falls down, <laughs> and and he, he's he's injured. Okay, and he's sick. And he takes his, sends his messenger and says, go down and inquire of the God of Ekron whether I'll live or not. And Elijah, God says, go meet these guys. <laughs> Catch them on the road. Elijah pops up from says, go back and tell him. Where do I have this here? Hmm. Therefore, you shall not come down from the, go- the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Yeah, is it, uh, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Okay, moving on. <clears throat> so, she says, you know, our people are being tested. Who are we going to listen to? And it's, it's, you know, this is kind of an interesting thing, because this particular illustration, this god of Ekron, had to do with a case of Sickness, injury, okay? Going on, she says, Shall we represent before the world that our physicians must follow the pattern of the world before they can be qualified to act as successful physicians? This is the question that is now testing the faith of some of the brethren. Let not any of our brethren displease the Lord by advocating in their assemblies the idea that we need to obtain from unbelievers a higher education than that specified by the Lord. So here's a question for you, for whatever it's worth. I don't want to spend much time on it. Does the world offer a higher education? You can look at that two ways. Yeah, you can look at that two ways. Which is the most valuable education, the world or God? If I could save 20 souls as an auto mechanic, and I'll save three as a nuclear physicist, which is the highest education I should seek? Huh? <laughs> you know? Really? I always used to do that with my kids in school. I'd say, listen, think of the, think of the job that you would enjoy most. What, what would be your dream job? What would be the absolute worst job you could possibly imagine? Now, just pretend for a moment that somehow or the other the Lord showed you that doing that worst job, you could save one more soul than doing your dream job for 50 years, your entire adult life. Would you be willing to take the worst job? It's a soul. How much are they worth? Something to ponder. Anyhow, no direct application here, but I got carried away. Let's go on. Um, Okay. Brief, there's a lot more counsel along those lines that helps near, you know, define some things that we don't have time to go into. Now, in order to understand the historic context of this, we have to jump out and we have to look at the history of medical licensing in California. It's fascinating stuff. In California, in 1900, they had medical societies, which were directly tied into the whole process of being getting a medical license. Okay, They had the American Medical Association, which was a relatively young organization at that point. Okay? But they had done something really, really cool. Is anybody here into advertising? Anybody have any, any rough concept? Do you know what branding is? Okay, you got the idea of branding? Okay. These guys had gotten their thing branded. They called them, they were known as regular medicine okay the only folks who did one better than that were the teachers who not so much anymore we don't use the term so much anymore but used to be what did we call the educational program that when you graduated you were a teacher what did we call that a normal school and I know these teachers, and they aren't normal. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> they really aren't. Okay, just as the AMA is not necessarily regular, teachers are not necessarily normal. But this branding thing is powerful. You know, you get you get the right brand on on Pepsi Cola type of thing or Coke or whatever. You know, and it'll 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 take over the world. Branding is important. But yeah, so the American Medical Association, you also had the Osteopathic Medical Society, the Homeopathic Medical Society, the Chiropractic Medical Society, and the Eclectic Medical Society. You probably haven't heard the Eclectic Medical Society, but they were serious. No, 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 this is a serious thing. The Eclectic Medical Institute, later Eclectic Medical College, operated in Cincinnati, Ohio from 1845 until 1942. This school of medical thought emphasized the use of herbal remedies, but was open to adopting any other techniques that proved advantageous. Actually, the eclectics received very high praise from Ellen White. She didn't praise any of these outfits, but she did say this. She said, in comparison to the others, the eclectics are better. She said that much. She was not fond of any of these organizations. It's, it's, it's a, it's, it was kind of a bit of a mess because there was, especially there was a, a, a guy up in Oregon someplace, I forget, I think it was Dr. Holden, I think was his name, and I'm going to get this mixed up, but he was, what was he? He was either a homeopath and he hated the AMA or he was an AMA kind of guy and he hated homeopathy. I forget which way it went. But he ended up writing this pamphlet, quoting Ellen White, pulling her statements out of, out of context, trying to prove that his brand of medicine was the great thing. Okay? And that is in a letter to him where she said, don't do that. <laughs> don't be making me say stuff that I'm not saying. That's just not even decent of you. you know? Stop it. And it was in that letter that she said, um, you know, uh, the eclectics are better. It was kind of an interesting comment. I won't take it too far, but you know, for whatever it's worth. Um, <clears throat> That's the way things were in 1900. 1901, everything changed. What changes things like this? Somebody passes a new law, right? Sacramento, capital, right? Okay. February 27, their new law was passed, which placed all medical licensing under the jurisdiction of a single board of medical examiners made up of five representatives of the AMA, two homeopaths, and two eclectics. Okay, five plus two plus two gives you nine members on the committee, in order to keep the, homeop- or the uh, AMA from railroading things entirely, they required a supermajority of six to pass any motion. Okay? So the AMA guys, even if they all banded together, they could not just rule the roost. They had to convince at least one of these other four guys to vote with them. Okay? If you wanted a medical license in 1901 or two or three or four or five or six, these are the guys that were going to give it to you. And you had to convince them to give it to you. They're the ones who ran the tests and all that sort of stuff. Now, who's missing from that list? The chiropractors? The osteopaths are missing from that list. The osteopaths, they had a spy someplace. And they saw this coming. Because 10 days later, another new law established a board of osteopathic examiners and explicitly exempted them from the jurisdiction of any other provision of California law. <laughs> the osteopaths said, you ain't doing that to us. No way. And so they said, we're going to have our own board and no other law touches us. Oh, man. Now everybody else was jealous. And if, you're a home, if you were a, a chiropractor, you know what your chances of getting a, a license were? It's pretty much nothing. <laughs> yeah. Now, this was not the time to take chiropractic in California because you were, you were going to be dead in the water because none of these guys were going to license you. Okay. Well, that made everybody mad. The homeopaths, the eclectics, and the AMA were all mad at the, at the osteopaths because they'd pulled off this fancy-schmancy stunt. And, uh, and the osteopaths, they were, they, were, they were feeling pretty cool about it, but you know, everybody was mad at them. In the next six years, there were 27 bills introduced into, into the legislature in California trying to get this thing rewritten. I read through all of them. They're fascinating because you know, they tweak it this way and tweak it that way. They add one here and take one there and change this and change that. In 1907, there were four bills working their way through the legislature slowly. And all of a sudden, the stars lined up. <laughs> Somebody cut a deal in a smoke-filled room in the back, back of a bar someplace, I suspect, okay? All four bills were thrown out, and a compromise bill was instituted, and within 10 days it was passed into law, okay? Somebody who had the, the clout greased the skids, 
You know, it says this one's going through. This new law in 1907 was really fascinating. Uh, I may have given me a wrong number. 21 congressional bills. Okay, anyhow, whatever that was. I don't remember what I said. I, may have, I think I may have said something else. Bam. Um, <clears throat> there were a number of minor changes and two very significant new provisions. This is what the law said. Three forms of certificate. Now, this is your medical license, okay? Three forms of medical license shall be issued by said board, the California State Board of Medical Examiners, okay? First, a certificate authorizing the holder thereof to practice medicine and surgery. That's basically an AMA license. Second, a certificate authorizing the holder thereof to practice osteopathy. Well, that's obviously an osteopathy license. Third, a certificate authorizing the holder thereof to practice any other system or mode of treating the sick or afflicted not referred to in this section? <laughs> Hello, what? <laughs> Can you spell blank check? <laughs> what is this? And where did this come from? Well, now... This wasn't like, you know, send in your $10 and get a medical license type of thing. You still, had to go to a, you still had to go to a medical school, and they still had tests, okay? Um, but they've changed the list of the tests, too. It's really fascinating stuff. I don't know. I've never been able to find out, you know, any behind-the-scenes scoop on what was going on with this. But the law said this. Well, no, that's not a direct quote. But, you know, the new law required examinations on anatomy, histology, gynecology, pathology, bacteriology, chemistry, and toxicology, physiology, obstetrics, general diagnosis, and hygiene. Ten areas, I think it is, if I count them up right. What's missing? No requirement for surgery. What else? What does that mean? Pharmacology. Today we'd call it pharmacology. You did not have to take a test on drugs to get a physician's license in 1907 in California. You did not have to take a test on surgery to get a physician's license in California in 1907. Now, is surgery evil? No. No, it's not evil. Now, you you know, sure, if you're taking out tonsils just because you see a way to pay off your summer cabin, that's evil, okay? <laughs> you, know? <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, but, but, but properly, you know, int- appropriate surgery is a wonderful thing. God bless the people that know how to do that. I'd like to try it someday, but I haven't found anybody who's willing to let me. <laughs> you know? uh, and I, I'm probably not going to go to medical school at this point in my life, so, you know, I, I may have to pass on that one for time being, but... But it's a great thing. Praise the Lord. But in 1907, you could get a fully legal, recognized license to practice some form of medicine not heretofore mentioned without even knowing surgery. I'm not saying that we wanted to train people that didn't know how to do surgery. Ellen White said if you're going to send the people off to, you know, as missionaries, they ought to know how to do simple surgery at least. You know, come on. So I'm not saying that we had anything against surgery. We weren't real big fans of Materia Medica, though, right? This is 1907. This is still this is the, the very tail end of, of the really weird, you know, let's give the guy a bunch of uh, uh, yeah, arsenic. Let's see what that does. Yeah, that was, that was pretty well going on its way out by 1907. But, you know, there were still traces of that kind of nonsense around. Um, so, basically, the state of California, well, I'll let you read. Um, this, is what, uh, this is what John Burden said. Since the legislature of California has opened the way for the students of such a school as the Loma Linda College of Medical Evangelists to be legally recognized to practice sanitarium methods of healing or rational remedies with no thought or effort on our part, it has seemed to us as a divine providence coming as it did the next year after we had started our school. Is the Lord opening some doors here? That's the big question, okay? The battle was fought by the osteopaths, but the legislature then threw the gate wide open for any school whose requirements for entrance to the medical course were equal to a high school preparation on the 10 fundamental branches that underlie medical education. Materia medica and surgery are both thrown out so that a good, thorough school of hygiene or rational practice of medicine would have no difficulty in being recognized in this state. 
And should our school be recognized here, its students would have a vantage ground from which to secure recognition in other states, the same as the osteopaths are being recognized. Their healing art is fast being recognized in all the states, but they have had to fight their way to the front with everything against them. Their opening the way will evidently make it easier, for a time at least, for other reputable methods of healing to become recognized. It certainly was a great misfortune that the American Medical Missionary College, stop right there. What's the AMMC? Anybody know? Okay, it's Kellogg's Medical School back in Battle Creek. Okay. It certainly was a great misfortune that the American Medical Missionary College was launched under the cover of the, who, what? Who's that? rather than under the banner of the healing art embodied in the third angel's message. And it seems to some of us that we shall make the same mistake they did if we undertake to follow their example in establishing a medical school whose very standard, if it is at all maintained, means commercialism from first to last. Has anybody heard anything at all recently about the prohibitively high cost of health care? Just, just checking. <laughs> John Burton was a genius. A hundred years ago, he said, you know, if we go down that road, it's going to be nothing but commercial. You've got to have a billing code for that. Right? He goes on. He says, I'm sure that as soon as the question of establishing an independent and uniquely Adventist medical school comes up, the first thought, on some people's minds, will be of a superficial medical education would be a disgrace to the work of the message, unless we can establish a fully equipped medical school after the world's idea, which could become a member of the Association of American Medical Colleges. Who are they? That's the AMA's educational branch. Okay. He says, some people are going to say, oh, it would be a disgrace to the work unless we do this. Right? I do not believe we should for a moment give countenance to anything of this sort. If much that is now embodied in the medical schools of the world is as useless as the maxims of the scribes and Pharisees, and if there are intricate studies that are a positive injury to the mind of the student, disqualifying him for the work he should do, and again, if much of their course is mere rubbish, <laughs> you know, it kind of sounds like dear brother Burden's getting a little critical here. <laughs> What right does he have to say these uncharitable things about medical education? Well, actually, yes, he's quoting Ellen White. Almost exactly quoting, Testimonies and Experiences Connected with the Loma Linda Sanitarium and College of Medical Evangelists, page 42. You can get all of that right off of there. But actually, if you do a little more research, you'll find out that it originally came from a letter... B, 241-03, October 17, 1903. 03, long before Loma Linda was purchased in 05. Notice it's letter B, 241. What do you suppose that B stands for? John Burden. Still in Australia. This is one of the letters she sent to him. He's quoting her. So, is it fair for him to say those things? I think so. So, Burden says, if all that stuff is true, Elder Burden asks, would a medical school, eliminating these useless things from the work and adding that most helpful healing agency, the influence of the gospel of Christ, as revealed in the study of the scriptures, combined with rational remedies and the ten fundamental branches taught in harmony therewith, would such a school become superficial? simply because it stood alone and was not recognized by the modern schools of the world. Would it? You don't want a superficial school. You don't want a cheap school. You don't want a, 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 a dumpy school because it ruins your influence. And you want influence. So the question is, if our school stood alone, would that undercut its influence? Well, Ellen White had some things to say. Henceforth, medical missionary work is to be carried forward with an earnestness with which it has never yet been carried forward. 
This work is the door through which the truth is to find entrance to the large cities. Um, that's an important thought. Just kind of keep that in mind. This is sort of a couple of floater ideas right here. Medical missionary work is the way to reach the cities. Unless you want to write off you know, more than 50% of the population of the earth at this point. Medical missionary work is the door through which the truth is to find entrance to large cities. She said, we must do more than we have done to reach the people of our cities. We are not to erect large buildings in these cities, but over and over again, the light has been given that plants or you know, buildings and establishments should be made in... What? Every city in America? We have no time to neglect the doing of this work, which for years has been outlined before us. What are the first three words? In every city, there are men and women who would go to a sanitarium were it near at hand, who would not be able to go to one a long way off. I look at this matter in a very decided light. The Lord's plan is to have small sanitariums established in many places so that the greatest number of people, east and west, north and south, can be reached through this means. The sick are to be reached, not by massive buildings, but by the establishment of many small sanitariums, which are to be as lights shining in a dark place. Our sanitariums are to help make up the number of God's people. We are not to establish a few mammoth institutions, for thus it would be impossible to give the patients the messages that will bring health to the soul. Small sanitariums are to be established in many places. You know, a lot of people have really puzzled over this emphasis on the small sanitarium concept. Ellen White seemed to stress it. She says it enough times. But, you know, it it really flies in the face of a lot of what we've learned from experience. Healthcare is more efficient in larger centers. So my basic question, I suppose, is if we're looking for a good reason... To follow the small sanitarium model, what about this? Maybe that's reason enough right there. And again, like I said yesterday, if you like a challenge in life, find something God says is impossible and spend the rest of your life trying to do it. Unless you want to succeed. Well, now, this is important because the healthcare system of the church was going to be very largely determined by the health education of the church. In other words, what Loma Linda trained people to do is what they were going to do when they went out there in the field. Okay? Make sense? So, naturally, Ellen White wanted to make sure that the education, the medical education, was correct. So, she did what she could which many times was simply writing out what the Lord had shown her. That was her unique contribution. So she said things like this. The education that meets the world's standard is to be less and less valued by those who are seeking for efficiency in carrying the medical missionary work in connection with the work of the third angel's message. They are to be educated from the standpoint of conscience, and as they conscientiously and faithfully follow right methods in their treatment of the sick, these methods will come to be recognized as preferable to the methods to which many have become accustomed, which demand the use of poisonous drugs. Recognized to be preferable. What does that equate to? Influence. (laughs) Yeah, Better, yeah. Influence. It's like, man, those guys over there are doing stuff that nobody else is doing. They're saving lives that would probably die over here. Their methods are preferable. Now, there's a lot of questions. And, and, you know, some of what I said earlier about we need to learn to allow other people to think their own thoughts, you know, and, and get used to, you know, I mean, my, my, you know, my brothers and sisters, they may make mistakes. I'm capable of a few myself, you know. There's going to be some differences of opinions, And this question of the ideal program of medical education, frankly, is big, complex. It's pretty tricky, okay? I have my own ideas. I hold them somewhat tenaciously. I recognize that other people have their own ideas. Bless them. 
They may not be exactly the same. Okay? I think there's always going to be some variety. But one of the, one of the classic examples, by the way, is, is down here at the bottom here. The use of poisonous drugs. What does she mean? You know, is she talking about calomel and arsenic and, and, and what's the other um, opium and you know whatever else? You know, the the, the, the really whacked out drugs. Is that when she is that what she talking? Or is she is she talking about um, you know the, the drugs that we're using today? And some people are going to say, you know, if you've paid any attention to this discussion, you know, there are some people who say, man, if it comes in a syringe, it's evil. You know, if it comes in a pill, it's bad. Period. End of discussion. Okay. And other people say, you know, that's, that's, that's maybe making her say what she wasn't really saying. And so you're going to have to get used to the fact that different people are going to view this a little differently. And, you know, God bless them all, okay? As long as they're endeavoring to be true to the text and true to the, the counsel, I can deal with people understanding things a little differently. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt my feelings, okay? So I, I recommend that. Don't, don't be so touchy on some of these issues that you can't work with people, Okay? But it is a tricky subject, and it is a, it is a complex one sometimes. Uh, the whole issue of poisonous drugs is just one of many fascinating questions that I'm not going to try to answer today. <laughs> Instead, I want to look at uh, what I think is a good approach to working out some of the tricky problems, and, and not just medical education. Even in your, especially in your personal life, when you come up to a big issue... It's tricky, complicated, and confusing. Here's how to approach it. Find one thing in there that's not confusing and just do that. <laughs> do that much, you know. God's patient. God's incredibly patient. He's not going to insist that you have every issue of everything figured out at square one. Be faithful to what you do understand. He'll work out the rest. You know, it may take a while. Trust me, there are people who have wrestled with these things their whole lives and died not knowing the final answer. You may be one of them. Me too. You know? And, and that's okay. As long as we've been faithful in that which was clear and we kicked the can down the road. You know? See what I'm saying? You know? We've got to make a contribution to this process or we're not helping anything. Okay? So, anyhow. <clears throat> well, to my thinking, and again, you feel free, you know, think your own. The one unavoidable reality is that the world's educational standard and system is going to be somewhat different from the standard and system God wants for his church. I think there's going to be a difference. Closer in some areas, further off base in others, okay? There will always be some difference until one of two things happens. The only time that the world's approach is going to be identical to the church's approach is if either the whole world is converted and comes, over, comes on board or we sacrifice some principles and, and adopt their system. So it's going to be one or the other. Okay? So the basic picture, with, uh, as, as Ellen White was painting it anyhow, was small sanitariums scattered all over the place with a relatively small number of doctors. And I say relatively. I don't know what that would mean in terms of actual numbers. Um, but... Uh, a relatively small number of, of fully licensed doctors providing supervision and maybe legal cover, so to speak, for a much larger number of workers trained as uniquely well-qualified nurses versed in superior methods of patient care and trained in appropriate evangelistic techniques. Right? But is that feasible? Can you actually make that work financially? Well, a couple of interesting quotes on that. Ellen White says, you are to go into these cities and begin work in a humble way. If we had faithfully followed from the first, the instruction regarding city work, means would have come in for us to establish in these places, schools and small sanitariums where we could treat the sick and preach the gospel and educate the people in Bible truth. Now, just so there's no confusion, what does means mean? Okay, good, money. Okay, means means money, right, okay. Look at this next sentence. If we had been faithful in the beginning, we would have had means to sustain all the enterprises for missionary work that we could carry forward. If I read that correctly, Ellen White just said that medical missionary work in the cities is going to be the financial backbone of the loud cry. Who did you think was going to pay for it? <laughs> 
You thought it was all going to happen for free? <laughs> I'm guessing not. There is an unfortunate flip side to that. 1909, she said, Do you not know that unless you carry the truth to the cities, there will be a drying up of means? Well, okay, so what did we actually do? Going back to our history, now what did we actually do? The road we traveled, okay? Uh, because it was a complex issue and because there were differences of opinions, you know, different people fought different things. And one of the more influential of opinions was this particular comment. Actually, it's a question and a comment. In 1907, A.G. Daniels, I guess that's not really a good reference, but that's who it was, anyhow. Uh, he, wrote, or he said this in a meeting. He says, Does the plan for the College of Medical Evangelists contemplate the establishment of a full-fledged medical college that will be recognized by legal bodies such as the American Medical Association? You know, it must have such recognition to be worth a nickel. What's his interest here in the worth a nickel? What does he want? No, not money. <laughs> Influence! He wants to protect the influence of the church's medical work. And that was his opinion. Is that the only way to get that influence was through the AMA. Now personally, I'll just be honest here, I wish Elder Daniels hadn't said that. <laughs> That's not my opinion. I differ with him on that. Why did he say that? Here's my best guess. You've got to remember that Dr. Kellogg had been a huge pain in his neck for the last several years. Kellogg had lied to him and lied about him. Kellogg had developed the Chicago City Mission into a huge financial drain that sucked, away, sucked up way too much money and accomplished relatively little in Souls One. Daniels was tired of Kellogg's excesses and eccentricities. And it's true that Kellogg did associate his medical school with the AMA, but I don't think that was what Daniels was thinking of. I think, my guess, is that what Daniels wanted was just a normal medical school. Give me something respectable. That's how you gain influence. Just give me a normal, respectable medical school. In his mind, at that time, it must have looked like linking up with the AMA was the safest thing, the normal thing to do. Now, as I say, I, I, you know, I wish he hadn't said that. I, I, I differ with him. I think that was a mistake. But you know what? A.G. Daniels was a human. He's entitled to make a mistake now and then. And he's a better man than I am. He sacrificed more than I ever have. He accomplished more than I probably ever will. God bless his memory. I think he made a mistake. Maybe... If he had the privilege of looking at it from 100 years down the road like I do, he might agree with me. Maybe he wouldn't. I don't know. But, you know, come on. This is, this is the clearest thing out of all historical studies is that it's so much easier looking backwards than it is looking forward. <laughs> you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. they say, right? So let's be charitable. You know, I'm not throwing any stones at A.G. Daniels. I, I wish it had gone the other way. And there, was, um, there were people that didn't agree with him. One of them, I might mention, was a guy who's actually something of a hero of mine, a guy by the name of John Burden. Burden didn't feel that that was the route to go. But, you know, he was a member of the committee. Daniels was on the committee. There were other people on the committee. And, you know, the committee vote eventually kind of went the other way. Okay? So they decided they wanted to join up with the AMA. But, you know, that wasn't easy to do. So there's some interesting things that happened here. And, and, and again, don't take this, you know, I, this is not harsh judgmentalism, but you remember Ellen White, there's a, there's a comment, she says, you know, that obedience is the easiest path to follow. And any time we go off of God's path, life gets harder for us, right? Remember those statements? We always think, oh, it's going to be so nice when I can just do my own thing. And, you know, okay. no, she says, you, go, you get off the path of obedience and life gets tough. And I think what we see is life getting tough. Watch what happens. <clears throat> when they decided to join up with the AMA, the first thing they did was they rejected the sanitarium building at Loma Linda. They said, that'll never work. It's just wrong. Okay. So the brethren said, well, what could we do? Let's build a hospital. 
And so they built a hospital down the hill from the sanitarium. They kept the sanitarium going as a sanitarium, but this was going as a hospital. Okay? Well, the problem is, after two years of work on building the hospital, the building was unfinished, behind schedule, over budget, and already rejected by the AMA. Why did they reject it? They said, it's in the wrong spot. It's way out there in the country. Not just country, it's in a tourist area. Now, what's fascinating about that, and I don't have any slides for this, but what's fascinating about that is that all the time Ellen White was telling John Burden to go looking for another property, she kept saying, go out in the tourist area. We need to be out there and catch those tourists so they can get them converted here and then send them back home to wherever and they can take the message with them. So the AMA, looking very rationally, I, I'm not opposed to the AMA. The AMA is not the mark of the beast. Okay, Let's, let's, let's be straight on that. I actually went to the trouble of adding up all the letters one time, and it came out to 2,584 or something like that. So you've got to get that back down to 666 before you can call in the mark of the beast. Uh, I am thankful for the AMA. I think they have overall been an asset to medical practice in the United States. I just don't think that they're great architects for evangelistic programs, that's all. I don't know why they should be, you know? I don't, think, I, mean, I don't think IBM is a great architect for evangelistic programs. That doesn't mean I hate, I hate IBM, you know? <laughs> I just think we probably ought to design our own evangelistic programs. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Anyhow, um, okay, so having this hospital out in the country wasn't going to work for the AMA, and so they said what you need is a 200-bed hospital in downtown Los Angeles. And they made perfectly good sense from their point of view. I can't fault them a bit on that a bit. What they were saying is, you need a bunch of sick people. You need all kinds of diseases. Now, Spirit of Prophecy, the council was to focus on common ailments and simple remedies. Why common ailments and simple remedies? A, it's simple, and B, they're common. <laughs> because our goal is to reach people. I could spend you know, 30 years specializing in, in, in dealing with some uh, you know, rare genetic condition that afflicts one out of every 15 billion people, and I would be a blessing to that, well, I guess 15 billion, that'd be about 0.3 people that actually have the disease at this point. But, you know, uh, you know, and I, I would be a blessing to that one person. But you know, if I find something that helps a gazillion people, it gives me a chance to influence a gazillion people. And what do I want? I want influence. Because <laughs> that's how you save souls. So, anyhow, be that as it may, AMA is being rational. Um, they said you need a hospital in downtown Los Angeles. Now, there's a fascinating story we need to zip in here, and I'm not going to show you any slides, so just go through this really quickly here. Back in 1899, well, what, what happens here is this, this is not the first time that the AMA had told Adventists they needed a, a big hospital in a big city. It's not the first time. It happened once before, back in 1899. The same people had said the same thing to the directors of the American Medical Missionary College, Kellogg School. The AMA told them they needed a large hospital in downtown Chicago. Why did they need a large hospital in downtown Chicago? Because it was required. Who required it? Who required it? That's a good question, yeah. Who required this hospital in downtown? Did the state of Illinois require it? No. Did some federal statute require it? No. Who required it? It was required in order to join the Association of American Medical Colleges, the AMA-affiliated educational wing. Okay? That's who required Why would they have to do that? What good would that do? Here's the answer, and I'm quoting from a letter, but don't worry about the details. Having that, uh, you know, meeting that requirement would allow them to join the, the Association of American Medical Colleges, which would give their college, quotes, an assured standing and position among the medical institutions of this and other countries. What did they want? Influence. Influence. Influence is the currency of soul saving. It's also the currency of power in the world. But anyhow. An assured standing. In other words, if they lined up with this human organization, they would gain influence and prestige. The directors 
picked out a property in Chicago to buy. They had plans drawn up for the building. They had everything ready to move forward when Dr. Kellogg came back home from Europe, where he happened to be at the time. But when Kellogg came back from Europe, he canceled the whole project. Why? Because while he was in Europe, he'd received a letter from Ellen White. She was in Australia. He was in Europe. I don't know if she wrote to Europe or if she wrote to Battle Creek and they forwarded it, but, you know, somehow or the other, okay? She sends him this letter in which she reproves Kellogg for spending a lot of money on a big, expensive, big, expensive medical building down in Chicago. In her vision, she saw this big building. She saw it get destroyed in some sort of a natural disaster, like an earthquake or something, and other buildings falling around it. She was alarmed. She says when she woke up, she wrote immediately to Dr. Kellogg, reproving him for spending all that money on this big building that appeared to be doomed to destruction. <clears throat> what Ellen White didn't realize when she wrote her letter to Kellogg was that the building she had seen in vision hadn't been built. It was the building that was planned, but nobody was talking about those plans. When Kellogg came back and looked at the plans, he said, oh, cancel that. Mum's the word, guys. Don't say anything about that project. Okay? It was three years before Ellen White ever found out about the, the, the plans. She found out very quickly there was no such building. Sister White, you're reproving me for something that's never been done. We've never built a building like that. Didn't say anything about the plans. Three years later, she found out about the plans. But what's interesting about this whole thing is that in the middle of that, well, let's see. She wrote this. She said, I was shown that the vision of buildings in Chicago and the draft upon the means or the money of our people to erect them and their destruction was an object lesson for our people, warning them not to invest largely of their means in property in Chicago or any other city unless the providence of God should positively open the way and plainly point out duty to build or buy as necessary in giving the note of warning. A similar caution was given in regard to the building in... To, Excuse me, a similar caution was given in regard to building in Los Angeles. 1899? She sees a vision about buildings in Chicago. And she mentions a similar warning is given in regard to building in Los Angeles. And this is an object lesson for our people. Now, the, the interesting thing about object lessons is that... Um, an object lesson usually consists of something that's not important as an illustration of something that's more important. Does that make sense? Remember, uh, was it Jeremiah? Took two sticks. You know, the Lord said, take two sticks and write Judah and Israel and join them together and type of thing. The sticks weren't important. They were an object lesson, right? If the vision about Chicago was an object lesson for our people, what's the important part? Well, it's really kind of fascinating. Funny she would mention Los Angeles. The vision of the Chicago building was given to her in 1899. Loma Linda wasn't purchased until 1905. The AMA didn't start putting pressure on for a hospital in Los Angeles until about 1912. How could Chicago be an object lesson for Los Angeles? Well, I think it was. The building that was never built in Chicago was built in Los Angeles. Here's how it came out. And, you know, to give the brethren credit, I find no evidence whatsoever that they ignored this light. I find no evidence whatsoever that the subject of the Chicago, the vision about Chicago, ever came up in any of their considerations. It's something that apparently has slipped their, their thought entirely. And probably many of them weren't even aware of it. You've got to remember, you know, we're talking personal letters, you know, that she writes to this guy and, you know, maybe four other people know about it, you know. They didn't have the, the complete writings of Ellen G. White on their CD-ROM like I've got, you know. They just didn't have that back in those days. So, you know, cut these guys a little bit of slack. Let's, you know, let's not get on our high horse too much. Um, <clears throat> when the AMA started telling Loma Linda that they needed a hospital in Los Angeles, uh, let's see, I already read that. No, 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 it's gone, okay. Here's some other things that Ellen White wrote. Maybe this will help us out. The Lord has at no time guided... Oh, no, I need to give you an introduction. Okay. The brethren did not remember the Chicago situation 
up in 1912, 1913, 1914, when this other thing was going on in regard to Loma Linda and their need for a hospital, right? Or the AMA's insistence they have a hospital. What they did remember was an event back from 1901. It seems that there had been a proposal to buy some property on Hill Street, someplace out on the outskirts of L.A. at the time, and to build a combination sanitarium and vegetarian restaurant. Ellen White's counsel had been sought, and she'd eventually been taken to see the property. She was not impressed. The Lord has at no time guided in the large plans that have been laid for buildings in Los Angeles. He has given light as to how we should move, and yet movements have been made that are contrary to the light and instruction given. I was taken to see this property, and as I walked up the hill in front of it, I heard distinctly a voice that said, encourage no settlement here of any description. God forbids. My people must get away from such surroundings. This place is as Sodom for wickedness. The place where my institutions are established must be altogether different. Leave the cities, and like Enoch, come from your retirement to warn the people of the cities. Well, that seems pretty clear. Anybody, anybody could misunderstand language like that, you know, it must be some sort of a blithering idiot, right? Well, you know, it's so much easier looking backward than it is looking forward. Let's, <laughs> you know, be, be very cautious about this, okay? It's entirely fitting that people like me should be charitable because the guys that I'm talking about now are the ones who built the ladder that I've been privileged to climb on. So, you know... Keep, keep that in mind, okay? This is what happened. It was felt by some of the brethren that the testimony of 1901 had reference to a sanitarium and not to a clinical hospital, such as the needs of the college, medical college now required. And again, I, I should point out that there was no requirement from state law or federal law. This was solely a requirement of the AMA that it be done this way. Um, well, they wanted influence. God bless them. I want influence too. They thought they saw the best route for it, and they made their best decision. I disagree with them, but I have the advantage of looking backwards. Okay? The final result of the consultations was a 200-bed hospital in downtown Los Angeles. Its construction was authorized in the fall of 1915. It was completed in 1916 and named the Ellen G. White Memorial Hospital in honor of the Lord's Messenger, who had died in June of 1915. Over the decades since, the White Memorial has played a large role in the training of thousands of fully licensed, highly trained, and qualified Seventh-day Adventist physicians, many of whom have served the Lord selflessly, for which we should all be grateful. The medical missionary course out at Loma Linda did not fare so well. This was the course that was to train the thousands. It was last offered in 1923. Personally, I believe we missed a golden opportunity. I think Elder Burden was right. I believe the Lord gave us the chance to establish a new kind of medical missionary practice with the blessing of the state of California at the same time. It appears to me that our effort went instead to trying to conform to the requirements and even the goals of the AMA. By 1924, the medical school had become fairly well-known, and the Los Angeles Times ran a human interest story on the school's history. I don't know if it was intrepid reporting by some reporter or simple coincidence, but I was fascinated as I was reading the article to see how he described it. Speaking of Loma Linda, he said, First, they had to have the sanction of the State Board of Medical Examiners and they also wanted the approval of the American Medical Association. I freely confess that I can be a bit pessimistic at times. This may be one of them. But I fear that somehow we didn't give enough thought to statements like this. Some of our medical missionaries have supposed that a medical training according to the plans of worldly schools is essential to their success. To those who have thought that the only way to success is by being taught by worldly men and by pursuing a course that is sanctioned by worldly men, I would now say, put away such ideas. This is a mistake that should be corrected. It is a dangerous thing to catch the spirit of the world. The popularity, what's a close synonym for popularity? The popularity which such a course invites will bring into the work a spirit which the word of God cannot sanction. 
Now, we could be all depressed. I prefer to be pleased. That though we haven't done all that we could and should have, I think, still, God has gone to tremendous lengths to try and, and, and drag us kicking and screaming to do the right thing. And he's preserved the history so that we can go back and see that he's tried to bring us kicking and screaming to do the right thing. And our last session this afternoon will focus on what's the right thing? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we do thank you. I thank you again for the patience of the saints. I pray that my excessive use of their time will be a blessing to them somehow. I pray that you'll go with us now and keep us all in Jesus' name. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.